Well, about two and a half years ago, Google restructured themselves and created a parent organization called Alphabet. Alphabet has a number of organizations underneath it, and it is now the second largest company, well, I should say second most valuable company, second only to Apple. One of the companies underneath Alphabet is a health company called Verily. Well, this last week, Verily announced that they were able to take typical normal uh, retina scans and be able to determine if you have cardiovascular issues. In fact, traditional testing would only get you about a 72% accuracy rate uh, out, of, out of blood testing. However, with these retina scans, already in beta, they're at 70%. And Verily is quite convinced that they're going to increase their, their percentage, their accuracy. Which means, in about 5 to 10 years, it's possible that you're going to go to the doctor for your physical. And as part of your physical, you'll have an eye scan. Like at the eye doctor, when they you know scan your retina to see how healthy it is, uh, your medical doctor might just take a scan and be able to determine your, your risk of you know heart attack, stroke, uh, other cardiovascular issues. I want you to imagine, though, that let, let's say this is 10 years from now. You go in for your routine physical. They, they weigh you. They measure you. They test your reflexes. And then they pull out this little machine, and it scans your eye. And just for the sake of our story, let's pretend that it immediately spits out the results. So they scan your eye, and all of a sudden this little ticker tape comes out, and the doctor rips it off, and he looks at it. And what he reads is that you have an 80% chance of having a heart attack in the next six months. That's not good, just in case you didn't know. Now imagine that the doctor just looks at it, looks at you and says, everything looks fine, thanks for coming in, and walks out. Now you wouldn't know. You'd think, okay, great, I'm, I'm doing good. But let's just pretend that like three months later, you somehow accidentally learned the results of that eye scan. And you find out that you were 80% at an 80% chance of having a heart attack within six months. And it's already three months have passed. I don't know if it's you, but I'd be angry. I'd be a little upset. The doctor had this important information for me and didn't tell me. I, I think I would probably want to go and confront the doctor. And I'm not a confrontational person. And yeah, I'd want to like shake him or her. Like, you knew. Why didn't you tell me? And imagine the doctor just looks at me and goes, well, pff, you looked fine to me. I mean, 20% chance you were going to be okay. It's, it's no big deal. No, it, it is a big deal. Now, now, thankfully, this is just a far-fetched, very, very, very fictional story. You know, we've got great professionals that if this technology existed and they ripped off the little piece of paper, they would tell us the results. All right? they, we would know. But this is a parable to a true story that happens on the spiritual level all the time. And it's perfectly illustrated in the story of Matt. When my wife and I lived in Denver, Colorado, we were helping plant a church in Parker, one of the suburbs. The church was named Pinecrest Community Church. And the daughter of our pastor was a college student at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and she'd made a friendship with a guy named Matt. And Matt was from Parker. And so as I was getting to know Matt, meeting him, I discovered all sorts of things about him. But the one thing that really stood out to me was that Matt was mad at his church. You see, Matt grew up in his church and took his faith very, very seriously. Even became like president of the youth group there every single Sunday. I mean, it was important to him. So when he took off to college, he began to look for some sort of Christian group to get involved in. 
and he discovered InterVarsity. And so as a freshman, he goes to the kickoff event for InterVarsity. He walks in and like they turn down the lights. These guys start singing. He'd never heard music like this. It was a little different than what he was used to. And then some guy got up and began to preach. And he began to teach from the Bible. Now, because Matt grew up in church, he believed the Bible was the word of God. But the more that this guy taught, the matter Matt got. Because Matt began to hear the gospel. And everything this guy said began to make incredible sense. Everything that Matt had heard all throughout church began to click together. And that night, Matt decided the gospel was true and he gave his life to following Jesus. So you're asking, well, why was he so mad at his church? Because for 18 years, his church had a Bible and not once told him about the gospel. The message that Matt said that he heard from the pulpit and from his youth group on a continual weekly basis was just be a good person because God loves you and God will let you into heaven if you just do good enough things. And that made Matt mad because he learned the scriptures teach that there's nothing that you can do to earn your way into heaven, that your entrance into heaven is all based on what Christ has done. It absolutely changed Matt's life. But Matt confessed he was having to work through some anger issues. There are churches all around this nation, I'll even say this world, that will teach from the Bible, and yet they will ignore some of the key components to talk about what the death of Jesus on a cross was really about. Because they don't want to offend, they, they don't want to be, you know, cruel, and, and, and God loves us. That's all true. God does love us. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us at Calvary so that our sin could be forgiven. The penalty of sin was death. We were spiritually dead. The only way we could come into the kingdom was through the cross. And so Jesus went and died on the cross, paying the penalty for us so that we could come into a relationship with him. I don't want Riverwood to be one of those churches. That we come together and sing some songs, we say some nice things so that we could feel good about ourselves and we just go about life. I want us to be a church that will go so far as to speak the gospel. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, as we get ready to jump into the scriptures, you would be the one who would ultimately be speaking. I pray, Father, you'd help me uh, just to have my heart and my mind in sync with your spirit, uh, that this would be about what you want to say. You've gathered uh, these people here today. And each and every person is at a different place in their spiritual journey. Some people are here today, and they do not know you. And some of what I'm going to say, is, it's going to sound foreign. It's going to sound strange. It's something that they might want to reject. Others here, this is new, and it's going to sound like it did to Matt, something that, that clicks, and it's going to make sense. And there are many here that, that they know you. They've been following you for a long time. And I pray that what, what is said today would encourage them and spur them on. Because, God, I believe you want to help each and every one of us to see Jesus and follow him, to make him the most important thing in our life. So, Father, I pray that you would accomplish today in each and every person today what you want to and need to accomplish. So open our hearts now, open our minds, open our eyes and our ears to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you brought a Bible with you today, open it up to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Today is the end of this gospel series that we've been going through, but it's also a little bit of a preview about what we are about to do. 
Uh, starting March 11th, we're going to start a series out of the book of Colossians. It's only going to be about three weeks long. But I think the book of Colossians helps us see very simply, quickly, and beautifully how to follow Jesus. And so we're going to be starting there in March 11th. But today, we get to go to the end of the book because Paul says something really, really interesting. At least it's fascinating to me. And it all, it's all about how to speak the gospel. Chapter 4, starting in verse 2, Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, typically when we jump into the middle of a, a book like this, one of the things I commonly will say is, hey, let's put it in context. And so we'll go and try and see kind of what was right before, what, what's right after, to, so that we understand what this is about. But sometimes it's just as important for us to go and put something in the cultural context, where we need to actually stop and think, okay, what was going on at the time? And so I want you to imagine, Paul is, is writing this, and where is he? It's right there in verse 3. Where is Paul as he's writing this? Anyone? He's in prison. Yeah, he's in prison. Now, why is he in prison? For sharing the gospel, for declaring the mystery of Christ. Now, what is it he asked for prayer for? To be able to declare the mystery of Christ. But think about it. Typically, we put people in prison to try to stop them. They're engaging in activities that our society has deemed as dangerous. And so, to try and stop their danger to society, we put them in prison. And so the Jews were threatened by this gospel message because Paul was going around declaring that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Like he, he was God in the flesh and this was offensive to the Jews. And so they wanted to silence him. And, and the Romans, they said that Caesar was Lord. And yet these Christians are going around saying Jesus is Lord. And so he was considered a threat to the Romans as well. And so both the Jews and the Romans want to silence this gospel. So they throw Paul in prison. The purpose of trying to keep him quiet. And yet, what is it that Paul wants to do? He wants to speak the gospel. I, I find this absolutely fascinating. The very thing that landed him in prison is the very activity he wants to continue to do. It, it's almost like Paul is a sponge, and under the pressure of, of prison, under the, the struggle and trials of life, as he's being squeezed, out comes the gospel. How about you? When life gets hard, you get squeezed, what comes out? I'll be honest, for me, it's not always the gospel. Uh, sometimes it is anger. Sometimes it's, it's frustration. Sometimes it's sadness. Sometimes when, when life starts getting really hard, I just want to flee. I want to run. But usually the most common thing that I do is I want to protect and I want to seek comfort. I don't like the pressure I'm under so I run to movies, I run to TV, I run to food, ice cream especially. You know, I, I run to these sort of things, trying to find my comfort in them because I don't like being squeezed. And, and yet Paul, he's getting squeezed. And what's he do? He, he pours forth the gospel. I want to get to a place in my life where when I am squeezed, out would come the gospel. Because not only do I think that's going to give glory to my God and where I will find my greatest joy, I think that's where I'm going to have my greatest strength to get through this trial and struggle of life. 
But something else happens. That when you get squeezed, and instead of selfishness pouring out of you, if instead Jesus poured out of you, that makes people stop. Years ago, I had some friends where she was diagnosed with cancer, and the doctors did anything and everything they possibly could, and this this cancer just spread everywhere. They were being squeezed. I remember her husband, also named Aaron, was just telling me, man, this is hard. This is horrible. And yet, when you look to their lives, as they're being squeezed, you saw Jesus. You saw the gospel. I can't tell you the number of people that found faith in Jesus because of the way Aaron and Shannon lived their lives as they were being squeezed. When life got hard, he poured forth Jesus, and it changed those around them. That's what Paul wants to happen to us. It isn't just that he wants to share this gospel. He doesn't want to just speak this gospel to others. It's that he wants you, if you are a Jesus follower, he wants you also to speak the gospel. Look at it there with me. Continue on down in verse 5. He says to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, when we talk about speaking the gospel, sharing the gospel to those who aren't part of the Christian faith, some people put on that the word evangelism. And so therefore, because it's evangelism, well, you need someone who has like a spiritual gift of evangelism, or at least someone who's really confident with words. But, you know, a lot of us, you know, I I'm not really into talking. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. I don't have a spiritual gift of evangelism. And so we kind of shy back and pull away. However, if you were to go to the beginning of this letter, you would see that Paul writes this to the saints and brothers and sisters of the church in Colossae. He doesn't say this is being written to the elders or this is being written to those with the gift of evangelism. This is given to those who are the super saints in the church. No, it's just written to anyone who says, I follow Jesus. Which means that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then Paul assumes that you're going to walk, you're going to live out this gospel. And as part of that living out the gospel, it means you have to speak the gospel. Now, now notice, he doesn't say, be a jerk. It's not going door to door, shoving tracks in people's faces. It's not standing on the street corner with a bullhorn yelling that everyone's going to hell. No, he says, seasoned with salt, be gracious. It's, it's gentleness, show love, respect. But figure out, how do I speak this gospel to others? How do I let them know about this life-changing message of Jesus? Because if you follow Jesus, he assumes you're going to speak the gospel. But notice something else. He's talking about speaking to those outside the faith, but it's coming at the end of his letter. Like after this, he begins kind of his closing remarks. Hey, so-and-so says hi, say hi to these people. Like this is kind of coming to the end of what he wants to really say. But before this, he spent a lot of time talking about the gospel, and he's writing it to people who already believe the gospel. That's because for Paul, speaking the gospel isn't just to those who were outside the faith. Speaking the gospel needs to also happen inside the faith. Uh, go back to chapter 3. Chapter 3 here in uh, Colossians. Join me in verse 16. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
I want you to look at verse 16 with me, phrase by phrase. First, let the word of Christ. The word of Christ is simply the teachings of Jesus. Uh, last year during our His Story series, when we kind of walked through the entire Bible and we saw how all of it pointed at Jesus, we spent one Sunday talking about the message of Jesus. What was it that Jesus taught? Well, he taught about the kingdom of God. But what we discovered was that for a kingdom to truly be a kingdom, a kingdom has to have a king. And that meant the king was Jesus. And Jesus, to be enthroned as the king, was crowned with a crown of thorns. And his throne was a cross. Because the entrance into the kingdom was to have your sins forgiven. But people couldn't pay it themselves because the penalty was death. And so Jesus went and paid it for us. The king gave his life for the people so that the people could come in and become citizens. That is the gospel. That is the word of Christ. And what is this word of Christ supposed to do? It is to dwell in you richly. So far in this uh, series on the gospel, we, we've seen in week one that we need to continually learn the gospel. That the gospel isn't just simply something we hear about and, and kind of accept, and that's what gets us into the kingdom of God, and we're done, we're good. It, we need to continue to learn it. As we continue to learn it, we begin to kind of just think the gospel. The gospel becomes this filter for how we think. Because whatever you believe about yourself, whatever your identity is, that's going to affect how you live. And so we need to live out the gospel. So we've got to think the gospel so we can live the gospel. But a natural part of living the gospel is speaking. Just like you can tell people about your family, the dad's great job, by the way, in the child dedication to be able to identify everyone correctly. Uh, sometimes I have dads who will go, um, this is my wife, and her name is, you know, and it's pretty embarrassing. Dad's good job. So, so often, though, we, we uh, in fact, I just lost my place. That's hilarious. Uh, talking about people losing their place, and I lose mine. Um, dwelling you richly. That, that this, oh, that you would think the gospel. Just like you could talk about your family naturally, or you could talk about your favorite sports team, or maybe your favorite hobby, or maybe, you know, one of your favorite recipes. Like, you could talk about these things easily because this is what you think about. The things you think about, it just comes out of you. And so if you are thinking the gospel, you'll begin to live the gospel, and you'll also begin to speak the gospel. That is why he says to let this uh, word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then notice what he says. Teaching and admonishing one another. That you will teach each other. And what is it you're teaching? The word of Christ, which is dwelling in you richly. In other words, you were speaking the gospel to one another. This is going to give you a little glimpse into my kind of philosophy of ministry. When it comes to evangelism, I merely see evangelism as discipleship of those who don't know Jesus yet. I am convinced that what every single person in this world needs is Jesus. And if you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, Aaron, already. I, I, I follow Jesus. Great. Guess what you need? Jesus. Because the, the scriptures teach that the image that God put into humans was, was broken through the fall of Adam and Eve. And, and that image God is wanting to restore. And the method that God is using to restore that image back into its full glory is the cross. God's answer to, this, the, to his response to the sin of Adam and Eve is Jesus on a cross. And so to see that image restored within us in order for us to become like Jesus so that we may truly love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived, we need Jesus. And if you're honest, every time you're squeezed, it's not always the gospel that comes out. 
if anything else comes out, guess what you need? You still need Jesus. We need to continue to soak in this gospel, be saturated with it, so that God continues to restore that image within us. So I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 400 years or you are still 400 years away from saying yes to following him. What you need is Jesus. Now, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus yet, I want you to know I am glad you are here. We actually started Riverwood Church for you. Our mission is to invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. We believe that sin has separated us from God. And we would love nothing more than to see you give your life to God, to follow him so that you are reconnected back to your creator. We think that the life that you truly want to live, the life that deep down that you want and desire is found in Christ. And so that is why we continually talk about this gospel, inviting you to see it as true and to make it the center of your life. But even if you have already made that sort of a decision, and that even decision may have happened years ago, you still need Jesus. You still need to seek after him. We are called Riverwood Church because of Ezekiel 47. It's a passage about a river. And the deeper the river gets, the, the harder it is to cross it. And we want to see people go deeper in that river. So no matter where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, if you're ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, we want to continue to see you go deeper. We believe the current of the river is the Holy Spirit calling you deeper. And we want to continue to see you go there. Because the more you continue to learn this gospel, the more you'll think it. And the more you think it, the more you'll live it. And the more you live it, the more you'll speak it. But sometimes the people we need to speak it to are those who already know the story. Let, let me give you an example. Here at Riverwood, uh, we have what we call growth groups. Our, our kind of pathway of following Jesus is gather, grow, give, go. You, you see them on our banners or, or around the, the facility. We want to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. And at Riverwood, we talk about taking a two-handed approach. We want to help you do it individually, that you'd be reading the Bible on your own. That's why we have Bibles back on the Give and Grow table. So anyone can take it, or we encourage you to download a Bible to your phone. We want everyone to have a Bible, and that you'd read it every day, and you'd start to pray, talk to God. But we also believe that you shouldn't just do that by yourself. You need to do it in contact with others. That's why we've started growth groups. About 50% of our church family are a part of growth groups. I'll be honest, I would love to see 100% of our family in growth groups, which means I'm right now going to invite all of you to my Monday night growth group. If Monday nights don't work, I invite you to the Tuesday night growth group. Luke uh, leads that, and you can talk to Luke, and uh, Luke and Tim can tell you where it's going to be this Tuesday, and you can go and be a part of that. If Tuesdays don't work, then you can go to Thursday. Jeff helps lead the Thursday group. You can join up with them. And you're saying, oh, Aaron, too bad. Mondays, Tuesday, and Thursdays don't work. Well, guess what? We can help you start a Friday group. We can help you start a Sunday afternoon group. We can help you start a group. We want to see everyone get connected into a group. And you may be saying, Aaron, none of those times work for me. Okay, then find someone who loves Jesus and do breakfast with them. Get up at 5.30 in the morning before you go to work. Sit down at High V. Open up the Bible and get into it. Maybe you have free time during the day. Then meet with a, a, a lady friend at 10 a.m. Well, guys, don't you meet the lady friend, especially if you're married. But ladies, meet with another friend, 10 a.m., duos, open up the Bibles, start encouraging each other. Do this. We need to be doing our, our growing individually, but we need to do it in context of the relationships. Now, all across America are groups like this. And because it's a lot of adults... It's a lot of people who are either in the career workforce or are retired or maybe looking for work. And so it's very common, whether it's my Monday night growth group or Tuesday or Thursday or, or a group you're going to help start, to have some of the conversation be about jobs. We, we have struggles at work. We, we, we talk about it. And we want people to pray for us. 
Now, oftentimes when we begin to complain about our job, oftentimes the whole rest of the group will jump on the we're with you bandwagon. And they're going to say things like this to you. Man, I'm so sorry you've got such a jerk of a boss. He doesn't realize how good you are. I'm so sorry. You have to work with that coworker. She, she's just, she's crazy. She's insane. Like, I'm so sorry for you. I'll, I'll be praying for you. You know, like we, we jump in there with them and we basically try to say, you know, if you were just at such and such company, you'd get more pay or you'd get more time off or you'd have better coworkers, or you'd have a better boss. And we, we try to encourage them in these things. Now, I think trying to jump in there with them, it's noble, it's kind, it, it, it shows, hey, we're with you, but it's not enough. Because oftentimes the troubles that they're facing at work are because of sin. Whether it be because of the sin of their boss who's being demanding or, or just not thinking things straight, or maybe it's because of the sin of a coworker, or maybe it's because of our own sin. And we are the ones who are being selfish in our job. What's the remedy for sin? The cross. And so sometimes what we need to do is to let this word of Christ, which is hopefully dwelling in us richly, we begin to teach it to one another, to speak it to people right there within our growth group. And so rather than say to someone, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through that, maybe we should start saying something like this. I'm so sorry you're going through that at work. But let me remind you that God loves you. Jesus died on a cross for your sins. And so you have a God who created you in his image, but he also died to purchase you away from sin. So you were created by God and purchased by God. You were doubly his. And that means that God is ultimately your boss. And so you can face these challenges. I know you can because God is with you and he is for you. Your boss will not always be your boss forever, but your God will be your God forever. That's why Paul can write in Colossians 3, 17, that whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you begin to speak the gospel like that to someone, it might be the exact encouragement that they need. They need that reminder that God loves them, he's with them, and he can even use this difficult moment for their good. Don't let them, when they're being squeezed, let selfishness come out. Speak the gospel. Teach and admonish them with these words of life that it hopefully is dwelling richly in you. Because it might be exactly what they need. And you know, sometimes we'll be the ones giving the encouragement in our group. And it's going to be exactly what they need to hear and God's going to use it. And then two, three, six months later, suddenly we find ourselves going through something really, really hard. We're being squeezed. And we'll be in our growth group. And we'll start complaining. And that very person began to speak the gospel to us because we spoke it to them. They were relearning that gospel. They were thinking it. They were living it. And then they speak it back to us to continue the discipleship cycle. So, Riverwood family, I want to encourage you. Continue to learn this gospel. Discover the power of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and what it can mean for you. And as you learn it, let it become a filter. Let you just think it. May you dwell in it richly so that you just begin to live it out. But I want to encourage you, don't be like a negligent doctor who doesn't tell the results. May you speak these words of life to those who are outside and also those who are inside. 
Because what we all need is Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would help each and every person here to understand this gospel more and more. I just pray right now for the person here who does not believe in you. And I pray, Father, that right now they would hear you calling them, that there's like this whisper in their spirit and that something is happening and they find themselves wanting to place their faith in you. God, would you do this for their joy, for their life? Would you change them through this gospel? God, I pray right now for the person who's been struggling and doubting, the person who's wondered if you really are real or, or maybe they're, they're doubting your goodness. Like they, they've known these stories. They, they know about the cross and the resurrection. At one point, it was important to them, but right now they're, they're really struggling and doubting. God, I pray that you would help them to see that the cross shows that you have done everything necessary to reach them. And that the momentary struggles that they are going through are not so far beyond your grace and your goodness and your love. And then, Father, I just pray for the person here who has been following you for a long time. And if it has slipped into duty mode, I pray that you would shatter that and you would just give them a fresh perspective of Jesus and the gospel. And it would, ex- it would excite them like never before. And as they get excited about it, they can't help but speak it. God, I am convinced there are people out there who are crashing around because they're dead in their spirits and what they need is you. And we are the people that you want to send to go and be that blessing, to invite people to find you and follow you. God, for us to do that, we need to know it. So continue, Father, to teach us, continue your deep work in us. Change us and mold us to become more and more like Christ that we would be a church that would love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And it's in his name we pray together. Amen.